Chapter Twenty Eight of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight. Slowly the moon rode over the house and down toward its way in the west, and after its vanishing chariot, the night stretched its wistful arms. Softly the gray in the east tinged into violet and glowed into rose and gold. The birds woke up and told one another that the first of August was come and life was good. The breath that came in the early dawn savored of new mown hay, and the bird songs thrilled Marcia as if it were the day of her dreams. She forgot all her troubles, forgot even her wayward sister next door, and rose with the song of the birds in her heart. This was to be a great day. No matter what happened, she had now this day to date from. David had asked her to go somewhere just because he wanted her to. She knew it from the look in his eyes when he told her, and she knew it because he might have asked a dozen men to go with him. There was no reason why he need have taken her today, for it was distinctly an affair for men, this great wonder of machinery. It was a privilege for a woman to go. She felt it. She understood the honor. With fingers trembling from joy, she dressed. Not the sight of her pink calico sunbonnet lying on the chair, nor the thought of wearing it upon so grand an occasion, could spoil the pleasure of the day. Among so large a company, her bonnet would hardly be noticed. If David was satisfied, what difference did it make? She was glad it would be early when they drove by the ants, else they might be scandalized. But never mind. Trill. She hummed a merry little tune which melted into the melody of the song she had sung last night. Then she smiled at herself in the glass. She was fastening the brooch in the bit of velvet round her neck, and she thought of the day a year ago when she had fastened that brooch. She had wondered then how she would feel if the next day was to be her own wedding day. Now as she smiled back at herself in the glass, all at once she thought it seemed as if this was her wedding day. Somehow last night had seemed to realize her dreams. A wonderful joy had descended upon her heart. Maybe she was foolish, but was she not going to ride with David? She did not long for the green fields and a chance to run wild through the wood now. This was better than those childish pleasures. This was real happiness. And to think it should have come through David! She hurried with the arrangement of her hair until her fingers trembled with excitement. She wanted to get downstairs and see if it were all really true or if she were dreaming it. Would David look at her as he had done last night? Would he speak that precious word, dear, to her again today? Would he take her by the hand and lead her sometimes? Or was that special gentleness because he knew she had suffered from her sister's words? She clasped her hands with a quick, convulsive gesture over her heart, and looking back to the sweet face in the glass, said softly, Oh, I love him, love him, and it cannot be wrong, for Kate is married. But though she was up early, David had been down before her. The fire was ready lighted, and the kettle singing over it on the crane. He had even pulled out the table and put up the leaf, and made some attempt to put the dishes upon it for breakfast. He was sitting by the hearth, impatient for her coming, with a bandbox by his side. It was like another sunrise to watch their eyes light up as they saw one another. 
their glances rushed together as though they had been a long time withholden from each other and a rosy glow came over marcia's face that made her long to hide it for a moment from view then she knew in her heart that her dream was not all a dream david was the same it had lasted whatever this wonderful thing was that bound them together she stood still in her happy bewilderment looking at him and he enjoying the radiant morning vision of her stood too david found that longing to take her in his arms overcoming him again he had made strict account with himself and was resolved to be careful and not frighten her he must be sure it would not be unpleasant to her before he let her know his great deep love he must be careful he must not take advantage of the fact that she was his and could not run away from him if she dreaded his attentions neither could she any more say no and so their two looks met and longed to come closer but were held back and a lovely shyness crept over marcia's sweet face then david bethought himself of his bandbox he took up the box and untied it with unaccustomed fingers fumbling among the tissue paper for the handle end of the thing where did they take hold of bonnets anyway he had no trouble with it the night before but then he was not thinking about it now he was half afraid she might not like it he remembered that hannah heath had pronounced against it it suddenly seemed impossible that he should have bought a bonnet that a pretty woman had said was not right there must be something wrong with it after all marcia stood wondering i thought maybe this would do instead of the sunbonnet he said at last getting out the bonnet by one string and holding it dangling before him marcia caught it with deft careful hands and an exclamation of delight he watched her anxiously it had all the requisite number of materials one two three four like the despised bonnet he threw on the floor straw silk lace and flowers would she like it her face showed that she did her cheeks flushed with pleasure and her eyes danced with joy marcia's face always showed it when she liked anything there was nothing halfway about her oh it is beautiful she said delightedly it is so sweet and white and cool with that green vine oh i am glad 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 i shall never wear that old blue bonnet again she went over to the glass and put it on the soft rushing settled about her brown hair and made a lovely setting for her face the green vine twined and peeped in and out under the round brim and the ribbon sat in a prim bow beneath her pretty chin she gave one comprehensive glance at herself in the glass and then turned to david in that glance was revealed to her just how much she had dreaded wearing her pink sunbonnet and just how relieved she was to have a substitute her look was shy and sweet as she said with eyes that dared and then drooped timidly you are very good to me almost he forgot his vow of carefulness at that but remembered when he had got half across the room toward her and answered earnestly dear you have been very good to me marcia's eyes suddenly sobered and half the glow faded from her face was it then only gratitude she took off the bonnet and touched the bows with wistful tenderness as she laid it by till after breakfast he watched her and misinterpreted the look was she then disappointed in the bonnet was it not right after all had hannah known better than he 
he hesitated and then asked her is there is it that is perhaps you would rather take it back and and choose another you know how to choose one better than i there were others i think in fact i forgot to look at any but this because i liked it but i'm only a man he finished helplessly no 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 said marcia her eyes sparkling emphatically again there couldn't be a better one this is just exactly what i like i do not want anything else and i like it all the better because you selected it she said daringly suddenly lifting her face to his with a spice of her own childish freedom his eyes admired her she told me hannah heath thought it too plain he added honestly then i'm sure i like it all the better for that said marcia so emphatically that they both laughed it all at once became necessary to hurry for the old clock in the hall clanged out the hour and david became aware that haste was imperative early as marcia had come down david had been up long before her his heart too light to sleep in a dream or perchance on the borders of the morning an idea had come to him he told marcia that he must go out now to see about the horse but he also made a hurried visit to the home of his office clerk and another to the aunts and when he returned with the horse he had left things in such a train that if he did not return that evening he would not be greatly missed but he said nothing to marcia about it he laughed to himself as he thought of the sleepy look on his clerk's face and the offended dignity expressed in the ruffle of aunt hortense's nightcap all awry as she had peered over the balusters to receive his unprecedentedly early visit the aunts were early risers they prided themselves upon it it hurt their dignity and their pride to have anything short of sudden serious illness or death or a fire cause others to arise before them therefore they did not receive the message that david was meditating another trip away from the village for a few days with good grace aunt hortense asked aunt amelia if she had ever feared that marcia would have a bad effect upon david by making him frivolous perhaps he would lose interest in his business with all his careering around the country aunt amelia agreed that marcia must be to blame in some way and then discovering they had a whole hour before their usual rising time the two good ladies settled themselves with indignant composure to their interrupted repose breakfast was ready when david returned marcia supposed he had only been to harness the horse she glanced out happily through the window to where the horse stood tied to the post in front of the house she felt like waving her hand to him and he turned and seemed to see her rolling the whites of his eyes around and tossing his head as if in greeting marcia could scarcely have eaten anything in her excitement if david had not urged her to do so she hurried with her clearing away and then flew upstairs to arrange her bonnet before the glass and don the lovely folds of the creamy crepe shawl folding it demurely around her shoulders and knotting it in front she put on her mitts took her handkerchief folded primly and came down ready but david no longer seemed in such haste he made a great fuss fastening up everything she wondered at his unusual care for she thought everything quite safe for the day she raised one shade toward the heath house it was the first time she had permitted herself this morning to think of kate was she there yet 
probably for no coach had left since last night and unless she had gone by private conveyance there would have been no way to go she looked up to the front corner guest room where the windows were open and the white muslin curtains swayed in the morning breeze no one seemed to be moving about in the room perhaps kate was not awake just then she caught the flutter of a blue muslin down on the front stoop kate was up early as it was and was coming out a sudden misgiving seized marcia's heart as when a little child she had seen her sister coming to eat up the piece of cake or sweetmeat that had been given to her many a time had that happened now she felt in some mysterious way kate would contrive to take from her her new-found joy she could not resist her david could not resist her no one could ever resist kate her face turned white and her hand began to tremble so that she dropped the curtain she had been holding up just then came david's clear voice louder than would have been necessary and pitched as if he were calling to someone upstairs though he knew she was just inside the parlor where she had gone to make sure of the window fastening come dear aren't you ready it is more than time we started there was a glad ring in david's voice that somehow belied the somewhat exacting words he had spoken and marcia's heart leaped up to meet him yes i'm all ready dear she called back with a hysterical little laugh of course kate could not hear so far but it gave her satisfaction to say it the final word was unpremeditated it bubbled up out of the depths of her heart and made the red rush back into her cheeks when she realized what she had said it was the first time she had ever used a term of endearment toward david she wondered if he noticed it and if he would think her very bold queer immodest to use it she looked shyly up at him inquiring with her eyes as she came out to him on the front stoop and he looked down with such a smile she felt as if it were a caress and yet neither was quite conscious of this little real by-play they were enacting for the benefit of the audience of one in blue muslin over the way how much she heard or how little they could not tell but it gave satisfaction to go through with it inasmuch as it was real and not acting at all david fastened the door and then helped marcia into the carriage they were both laughing happily like two children starting upon a picnic marcia was serenely conscious of her new bonnet and it was pleasant to have david tuck the linen lap-robe over her chin's frock so carefully she was certain kate could not identify it now at that distance thanks to the lap-robe and her crape shawl at least kate could not see any of her own trousseau on her sister now kate was sitting on the little white seat in the shelter of the honeysuckle vine facing them on the stoop of the heath house it was impossible for them to know whether she was watching them or not they did not look up to see she was talking with mr heath who in his milking garb was putting to rights some shrubs and plants near the walk that had been trampled upon during the wedding festivities but kate must have seen a good deal that went on david took up the reins settled himself with a smile at marcia touched the horse with the tip of the whip which caused him to spring forward in astonishment that from david no horse in town would have expected it of him they had known him from babyhood most of them and he was gentleness itself it must have been a mistake 
but the impression lasted long enough to carry them a rod or two past the heath-house at a swift pace, with only time for a lifting of David's hat, prolonged politely, which might or might not have included Kate, and they were out upon their way together. Marcia could scarcely believe her senses that she was really here beside David, riding with him swiftly through the village and leaving Kate behind. She felt a passing pity for Kate. Then she looked shyly up at David. Would his gaiety pass when they were away, and would he grow grave and sad again so soon as he was out of Kate's sight? She had learned enough of David's principles to know that he would not think it right to let his thoughts stray to Kate now, but did his heart still turn that way in spite of him? Through the town they sped, glad with every roll of the wheels that took them further away from Kate. Each was conscious, as they rolled along, of that day one year ago when they rode together thus, out through the fields into the country. It was a day much as that other one, just as bright, just as warm, and yet, oh, so much more radiant to both. Then they were sad and fearful for the future. All their life seemed in the past. Now the darkness had been led through, and they had reached the brightness again. In fact, all the future stretched out before them that fair morning, and looked bright as the day. They were conscious of the blueness of the sky, of the soft clouds that hovered in haziness on the rim of the horizon, as holding off far enough to spoil no moment of that perfect day. They were conscious of the waving grains and of the perfume of the buckwheat drifting like snow in the fields beyond the wheat. Conscious of the meadowlark and the wood robin's note, of the whir of a locust and the thud of a frog in the cool green of a pool deep with brown shadows, conscious of a circling of mated butterflies in the simmering gold air, of the wild roses lifting fair pink petals from the brambly banks beside the road, conscious of the whispering pine needles in a wood they passed, the fluttering chatter of leaves and silver flash of the lining of poplar leaves, where tall trees stood like sentinels, apart and sad, conscious of a little brook that tinkled under a log bridge they crossed, then hurried on its way unmindful of their happy crossing, conscious of the dusty daisy beside the road, closing with the bumbling bee who wanted honey below the market price, conscious of all these things, yet most conscious of each other, close side by side. It was all so dear, that ride, and over so soon. Marcia was just trying to get used to looking up into the dazzling light of David's eyes. She had to droop her own almost immediately, for the truth she read in his was overpowering. Could it be? A fluttering thought came timidly to her heart, and would not be denied. Can it be, can it be that he cares for me? He loves me, he loves me! It sang its way in with thrill after thrill of joy, and more and more David's eyes told the story which his lips dared not risk yet. But eyes and hearts are not held by the conventions that bind lips. They rushed into the inheritance of each other, and had that day ahead, a day so rare and sweet, that it would do to set among the jewels of fair days for all time, and for any one. All too soon they began to turn into roads where there were other vehicles, many of them, and all going in the same direction. Men and women in gala day attire, all laughing and talking expectantly, and looking at one another as the carriages passed, with a degree of familiar curiosity which betokens a common errand. 
family coaches, farm wagons, with kitchen chairs for accommodation of the family, old one-horse chaises, carry-alls, and even a stage-coach or two, wheeled into the old turnpike. David and Marcia settled into subdued quiet, their joy not expressing itself in the ripples of laughter that had rung out earlier in the morning when they were alone. They sought each other's eyes often and often, and in one of these excursions that David's eyes made to Marcia's face, he noticed how extremely becoming the new bonnet was. After thinking it over, he decided to risk letting her know. He was not shy about it now. "'Do you know, dear,' he said, there had been a good many dears slipping back and forth all unannounced during that ride, and not openly acknowledged either. Do you know how becoming your new bonnet is to you? You look prettier than I ever saw you look but once before. He kept his eyes upon her face, and watched the sweet color steal up to her drooping eyelashes. When was that? she asked coyly, to hide her embarrassment, and sweeping him one laughing glance. Why, that night, dear, at the gate in the moonlight, don't you remember? Oh! Marcia caught her breath, and a thrill of joy passed through her that made her close her eyes, lest the glad tears should come. Then the little bird in her heart set up the song in earnest to the tune of wonder, He loves me, he loves me, he loves me. He leaned a little closer to her. If there were not so many people looking, I think I should have to kiss you now. Oh, said Marcia, drawing in her breath and looking around frightened on the number of people that were driving all about them, for they were come almost to the railroad now and could see the black smoke of the engine a little beyond as it stood puffing and snorting upon its track like some sulky animal that had been caught and chained and harnessed and was longing to leap forward and upset its load. But though Marcia looked about in her happy fright and sat a little straighter in the chaise, she did not move her hand away that lay next David's, underneath the linen lap-robe, and he put his own hand over it and covered it close in his firm hold. Marcia trembled and was so happy she was almost faint with joy. She wondered if she were very foolish indeed to feel so, and if all love had this terrible element of solemn joy in it that made it seem too great to be real. They had to stop a number of times to speak to people. Everybody knew David, it appeared. This man and that had a word to speak with him, some bit of news that he must not omit to notice in his article, some new development about the attitude of a man of influence that was important, the change of two or three of those who were to go in the coaches on this trial trip. To all of them David introduced his wife, with a ring of pride in his voice as he said the words, My wife, and all of them stopped whatever business they had in hand, and stepped back to bow most differentially to the beautiful woman who sat smiling by his side. They wondered why they had not heard of her before, and they looked curiously, enviously at David, and back in admiration at Marcia. It was quite a little court she held sitting there in the chaise by David's side. Men who have since won a mention in the pages of history were there that day, and nearly all of them had a word for David Spafford and his lovely wife. Many of them stood for some time and talked with her. Mr. Thurlow Weed was the last one to leave them before the train was actually ready for starting, 
and he laid an urging hand upon David's arm as he went. "'Then you think you cannot go with us? Better come. Mrs. Spafford will let you, I am sure. You are not afraid, are you, Mrs. Spafford? I am sure you are a brave woman. Better come, Spafford.' But David laughingly thanked him again, as he had thanked others, and said that he would not be able to go, as he and his wife had other plans, and he must go on to Albany as soon as the train had started. Marcia looked up at him half-worshipfully as he said this, wondering what it was, instinctively knowing that it was for her sake he was giving up this honor which they all wished to put upon him. It would naturally have been an interesting thing to him to have taken this first ride behind the new engine DeWitt Clinton. Then suddenly, like a chill wind from a thundercloud that has stolen up unannounced and clutched the little wild flowers before they have time to bind up their windy locks and duck their heads under cover, there happened a thing that clutched Marcia's heart and froze all the joy in her veins. End of chapter 28